Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. Hi there, my name is Brooke Benson. Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter. I saw a wedding planning magazine and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I do not advocate for divorce. In fact, I don't even get involved in relationship issues at all. If you decide to end your relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work towards your own best outcomes. And there are many professions with specialties in the area of divorce. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information, and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name, now available for download at planfordivorce.org. Again, that's planfordivorce.org. Please follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Today, we were scheduled to have three guests. Um, unfortunately, Barry Sachs is traveling and won't be able to join us, but we are very lucky to have Peter Newworth, an actuary and a retirement benefits specialist with us on the show, as well as Mary Jo LeFay, who is a home equity retirement specialist. Welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. So, so glad you're here. Um, I actually was attending a meeting this morning where we talked a little bit about why divorce among older people, um, maybe sort of discussing why it's becoming more common. Obviously, we all know baby boomers are aging and uh, there are so many of them. And I think with the change in women in the workforce, a lot of women who are self-sufficient um, probably also is a contributing factor in the idea that, you know, typically, historically, couples kind of had to stay together, whether it was, you know, to cover all the farm work or um, maybe because the woman had not been working outside the home and it really was beneficial to her to stay in the relationship. And that's not to say that, you know, men don't also initiate divorce. So I would like to spend this hour talking about considerations unique to older divorcing people. And we know that just in any divorce, the division of assets is always a critical um, part of dismantling the union. Each person wants to feel like they're getting, you know, at least what they brought to the table and often, you know, whatever they contributed during the marriage, some sort of representative number that, you know, that they feel like they're being made whole in the process of, of dividing community property or joint assets. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about what those assets might be for a couple who, let's just say for the sake of the show, is past their earning years and they are, you know, retired and working with different buckets that are available to them in their situation specifically. So Pete, if you would kind of give us an overview of what typically those buckets contain, and then we'll get into the details of how they would be divided. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Brooke. I'm really thrilled to be here to talk about this very, very important topic. Uh, I guess the first thing I would say is it's not just assets, it's it's future streams of income. Because particularly when older, when older couples divorce, what's important is not just how are we going to split up the assets we've accumulated, but also how are we each going to preserve an income stream? And some of those income streams are already there via 
annuities or or pensions that might be in payment or otherwise but it's 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 again it's not just an asset split process it's also an income uh derivation but to answer your question and i'm going to kick it back over to to mary joe because she she knows much more about real estate than i do but real estate and retirement benefits of some sort, whether they be 401k plans, IRAs, account-based ones, or pensions, maybe public, public, uh, maybe somebody worked for a public employer, so it might be a public plan, or, and there's Social Security. So those are, those are really the, the, the major assets that I think most, and also potentially life insurance and, 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 and so forth, but real estate, retirement benefits, are really and those retirement benefits either being an income or an account based are are the same and but mary joe maybe you have some thoughts about the real estate side of things because it's not just the house right right well there's you know there's the primary residence which um when you get into retirement can be hard to to extract money from because uh, if you're looking at conventional lending um you have to qualify uh, after the financial crisis the government decided that that people should have to show that they have income to repay a loan before they can get a loan. So that was a big shift from uh, equity-based lending to income-based lending. And so in in retirement, if they're you know they're cutting back or they've been laid off later, you know in in their career and not able to get reemployed, then um, getting a refinance cash out to, to buy out their departing, the departing spouse can be very difficult. And HELOCs now, home equity lines of credit, are probably more difficult than they've ever been. Um, so, you know, it doesn't leave a lot of options. Um, there's the reverse mortgage, if it will give you enough, um, it, you know, typically will loan someone around half of their home value. So, depending on the amount of debt they have on that at the time. Uh, that's that's sometimes um, a solution. And so, you know, getting that word out is, is important, especially for attorneys and advisors. And um, then you have other properties that people might own. And, and sometimes those are a little bit easier to refinance if they have income coming in off those properties. But, you know, the average American retiree probably doesn't own a, an apartment building or a few extra houses. So um, it really boils down to, you know, their housing wealth, the, the equity in the home that they're living in is oftentimes their largest asset. It typically represents 60% or more of a retiring person's wealth, their net worth. So um, it's important to look at that when you're dividing assets as a resource. Um, you know, uh, but Mary Jo, you actually made a point that I, if I could expand on a little bit before <laughs> you jump back in, Brooke, is that <clears throat> there's uh, often a big mortgage and people owe. So when when older uh, people get divorced, it's not just the assets or even their income streams they have to think about dividing, but also the liabilities, because as a couple, you probably owe a whole bunch, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan or student loans or something else. But the liabilities and the assets and the income streams are all things that really need to be sorted out. Right. And I love that you brought up in your very first time to talk that the income stream is something that has to be considered based on what those assets are. So let's talk a little bit specifically about 401k plans. As a divorce lending specialist, I have people, you know, debating about whether to do a quadro, which I know you can explain in it probably more detail than I'm able to, but basically the vehicle to split retirement funds. So why is it number one, so hard to do that? And number two, why do you sort of advise against using a quadro? Okay. Well, let me back up and, and, and talk about what, what is a quadro? I mean, the, Quadro is a qualified domestic relations order, and that is the only way the government allows you to 
provide pension or provide benefits from a qualified retirement plan, a 401k or a pension or any any uh, retirement benefit that's in a qualified trust getting tax sheltered. The only way to, to split that and provide those assets to somebody other than the than the individual who's actually earning the pension who has the account is through this quadro and you know, the government and this is came in with ERISA wanted to be very very sure that assets set aside in trust are not used for anything other than the exclusive benefit of the people that are there that participate well quadro is an exception because what what is happen what is allowed to happen is a qualified plan benefit gets split and part of it goes to the to the participant and part of it goes to his spouse who's now going to be called an alternative well those those documents have to be done absolutely correctly and if they're not then uh, the entire tax shelter of the plan is at risk. And that's why administrators are very, very vigilant that that quadros are done exactly right. But more importantly, quadros are constrained. They cannot provide they cannot increase the liabilities of a plan that has been set up for the, the benefit of a bunch of employees. And they cannot provide any optional form of benefit that was not available to the participant before he got divorced. And those two factors create all kinds of problems. And um, I, I don't know if we, we have time to get into all of the complications around, around quadros, but quadros are the only way to split up a 401k or a pension plan directly. And 401ks may sound simple, but they're not. They sound, well, you just have an account balance and you split it in 50-50. Well, what if the marriage was shorter than the period over which the, the one of the spouses accumulated those accounts? How do you determine how much of that account was attributable to premarital service and how much to marital service. Not nearly as simple as it even seems. You cannot just simply go back and just do some kind of service prorate because you've got contributions going in and investment returns being, so you'd actually have to track the investment returns and the buckets for each of these spouses for during their pre-marital service and their post-marital service. And that's fundamentally why quadros are a nightmare when it comes to 401ks. And there are better there's better answers, but that's that's the that's the problem with the straightforward answer. Well, I've noticed um that there are attorneys now who do nothing but draft quadros for you know, for other attorneys. So maybe the family lawyer who's handling the divorce calls in another attorney and says, we need to, you know, divide this up. What do you suggest? I mean, I there's an industry for this, which oh, number wow. one was surprising to me. And, and the other thing that I think uh, for our listeners to know is that bringing in an accountant or someone who is, you know, very familiar with how these things get divided it is a critical part of looking at the marital estate and trying to divide it. Um, having someone who gets it, who understands how 401k plans work and, and what the, you know, what, if there's going to be a transfer, what the person receiving the transfer is entitled to do or to get. So, is it harder to split up a 401k from a pension? Like I think of a pension, I do a lot of loans for military connected families. And so with a military pension, they've, the way I understand it, it's pretty well lined out. I mean, it's based on how many years they were married and, you know, the level of service. And, and it's basically like you can go look at a matrix to determine what part of the pension is going, you know, would be awarded to the spouse. 401k doesn't really have those kinds of guidelines, does it? No. Well, it's, I mean, it's, uh, no, it doesn't. And, and, um, 
uh, let me take another step back and say that in a in a perfect theoretical way, it shouldn't be that difficult. If if the if if the two if the couple was married and and and, and the one of them one of the spouses accrues the benefit during the marriage and they don't change employers and they and the plan hasn't changed um then theoretically you just take 50% of the pension and and you're done same thing with the with the 401k if if the couples got married before employment started it's relatively simple although if the plan changes if the employer changes then you've got all other kinds of problems that that uh, create are created, particularly when it comes to keeping records and going back and finding, you know, being able to trace things. The other thing I would just say, Brooke, is that um, you know you mentioned you need an accountant. You actually don't. You need more than an accountant. What you need is somebody who is very familiar with how qualified retirement plans work under ERISA. And that means a 401k expert. And that doesn't have to be an actuary, but actuaries are also do a lot of that. Um, and when it comes to quadros, you need a quadro expert. And uh, almost all of the employee benefits consulting firms, you know, Towers, Towers Watson, and Aon and, and Mercer and all, they all have quadro experts that can draft quadros. And there are attorneys that do it. And there are people that pretend they can do it that can't do it. And when you don't do it well, it goes to the judge. The judge says, fine. He sends it to the plan administrator. The plan administrator says, I can't do this because right. it's just not going to, uh, it, it, could, it could impair the qualification of my plan. And so that's why you see quadros going back and forth between the, the judge and the plan administrator again and again. And I think that's why I said accountants, I, I really should have phrased it better, a professional, someone who really knows what they're doing versus, you know, someone who thinks they're good at numbers. I mean, really trying to find somebody who gets it. So you're an actuary. Give us kind of the the elevator speech on why an actuary is, uh, tell us what you do. Okay. Well, as an, as an actuary, basically, it, it's it's well. I guess the the best definition I've I've heard of it is, it's the professional who figures the current financial implications of future contingent events, which basically means we we project out assets and liabilities and the cash flow that's going to be required or coming in, and we try to do that kind of financial modeling that will keep things in balance. It's basically balancing time, risk, and money. So um, fundamentally, that's that's what, what I do. Now, when it comes to divorce and pensions, uh, you, you've really got that, that challenge. You've got to sort of look at what, what, is, what is this asset going to produce and how we can evaluate the value of that and make an equitable allocation between between the spouses and and as an actuary i you know we get involved in a lot of these divorce related uh calculations where you look at you look at a uh, maybe maybe somebody's got an annuity and you look at and you know the 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 cash value of that annuity is not the value of the annuity. The value of the annuity is the is the is the future income stream, and so that's what actuaries do: is evaluate the value of future income streams, which is basically what you have in in a in an older in a silver divorce. Right. Okay. I don't want to go down the tax rabbit hole, um, partly because I really don't want to display my own ignorance, but let's talk a little bit about tax implications. Um, Mary Jo, you mentioned you know, some of the ramifications of getting a reverse mortgage. Let's just say in a scenario where an older couple is divorcing, they take out a reverse mortgage on the home. One of the people, you know, parties to the divorce, is going to take you know the money coming from the yield of the reverse mortgage. Does that person have a tax obligation on that money? 
So I, as you know, I, I'm not a tax specialist, so I can't give any tax advice, but I can tell you that uh, the IRS says that loan proceeds are not taxable and uh, reverse mortgage proceeds, anything you borrow from a reverse mortgage is a loan. Even though you may not be required to make a monthly payment because there's never a monthly mortgage payment required when you obtain a reverse mortgage, you just have to pay your property tax and homeowner's insurance and HOA dues. So the borrower has to continue paying all the same charges that they would pay if they had no mortgage at all. Uh, but there's no payment associated with the actual reverse mortgage loan. So um, so that that hopefully answers your question. Uh, the only thing that you know sometimes people point out is if they're paying off a conventional mortgage with a reverse mortgage, then they're not going to be paying a principal and interest payment anymore. So they won't get a tax deduction. But they also will be drawing less from their investments investment accounts, their retirement accounts, because they don't need as much money anymore to pay a mortgage payment. So that's such a good point. Yeah, hopefully their their tax liability will go down also. And and for a lot of people in retirement, um, you know, they're taking their required minimum draw and they're they're looking for other ways to supplement their income that don't increase their tax liability. And that's where reverse mortgage is a great tool because it's highly flexible. Uh, the variable rate reverse mortgage is a revolving line of credit. So you can borrow from it when the market's down or anytime you need more than your required minimum draw. Or if, if we're in a time of extreme volatility and the market's falling and you have to take your RMD, maybe you want to reinvest that at, at the low buy-in rate at, you know, as the market's falling and then take money to live on from your reverse mortgage credit line. So there are a lot of ways that you can use a reverse mortgage as a buffer asset to buffer for market volatility, to control your cash flow, manage your cash flow in a way that's going to um, potentially increase the probability that your money will last your lifetime, that you won't be running out of money. Um, That is such great information. And talk a little bit about if there is a line of credit set up with the reverse mortgage, that appreciates over time, correct? Um, I, I don't like to use the word appreciate but it increases in borrowing power. So the the best way I've found to explain it, because it's hard to for people to imagine that their credit line, the amount available to them, is automatically increasing every single month, regardless of home value going up or down. So let's say a borrower starts out with a $400,000 credit line and maybe they don't really need it right now. They're just setting it up for future because they know that one day they're going to need that when the stock market has volatility. Maybe they're going to want to draw from that instead when they want a new roof instead of pulling $30,000 out of their investment account and paying $10,000 in taxes to net the $20,000 to buy the new roof. They can just take it from their reverse mortgage credit line. So the, the best way I've found to explain the growth on the credit line, if it were interest, you would be you'd be liable for uh, taxes, right? Because interest income is 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 taxable. But this is actually like imagine if you have a credit card and you have a ten thousand dollar limit, and then at the end of the year, um, Visa sends you a letter and says we've just increased your limit to twelve thousand dollars. So you didn't just make two thousand dollars. You didn't earn it. It's not interest but they've increased the amount available for you to borrow. And the beauty of the FHA insured reverse mortgage is that HUD's created this as a tool to kind of keep up with inflation and to to reward people for living longer because the older you get, the less time you're expected to live. So the more they can loan you because they expect there'll be less years for interest to accrue. So, it's automatic. If your home value is going down in value every month, your available credit line is still going up. And that's guaranteed by HUD as part of the mortgage insurance that the borrowers pay at the beginning of the loan. Yeah. Um, You know, I I was just going to say, you know, Mary Jo, I mean, you made some great points about the tax effectiveness of the, of the reverse mortgage. And also of course the, its its use and how it can mitigate against one of the key risks of, of retirement, which is sequence of return risk, which 
is a, it's a whole nother issue. But more generally, managing the uh, a divorce in such a way as to produce the most efficient, tax efficient cash flow streams, ca- tax efficient split of the assets and income, leaving less as as little as possible with the government and as much as possible with the with the two spouses is is really the goal. Pete, will you talk a little bit about the tax implications um, following a quadro? Well, it's it the the, the tax implications are pretty pretty simple. I mean, it, once a quadro is uh, is provided, the the, the asset the, the income coming out is is ordinary income. What I wanted to, to to mention is that there is a way to avoid quadros in uh for 401ks, um, not not so much on defined benefit plans, but with, res- well, there are on defined benefit, but there's a very direct way to avoid a quadro with a 401k, and that is to do a transfer, an IRA transfer incident to divorce, it's called under section 408 of the code. And what, what you do is you don't have to talk to the plan administrator. What you do instead is you the participant, the person who has the 401k, gets it to roll over into his own IRA. And then you work out your, a deal with your ex, your, the, the, the other spouse and transfer some of your IRA to his or her IRA, uh, a separate spousal IRA. And that avoids all taxation and it avoids all quadros because the only person, the only entity that has to bless that transaction is the custodial trustee of the IRA, which is often the bank or investment firm. So this is a this is an approach that many Many divorcing couples aren't aware of; they don't use it, and it, but it's very cost-effective. So, just to clarify, you're saying funds go from an employee's four hundred one k to that person's IRA, mm-hmm. and then from that person's IRA to their departing spouse's a direct transfer IRA to IRA. Yes, yes, and. Um, and so, and so, you know, what what actuaries can do is to help the divorcing couple work out the numbers. What is the fair value for this particular income stream, tax affected or not? And then once the numbers are are kind of agreed on, then it becomes a simple thing. You roll over the IR the 401k into the IRA, and then you decide on what the what the right number is to transfer to the other to the other person's IRA and minimizes the amount of legal legal involvement minimizes the amount of plan administration involvement and certainly any quadro experts are attorneys aware of this some are some are I sure see a lot of quadros and this seems like it would be far more efficient yes yes um I mean, quad, uh, actuaries don't like quadros either. I mean, there's some that actually make their living because there are, you know, there as as you point out, there is a whole little cottage industry within the ERISA community that um, focuses on quadros. And, you know, I mean... <laughs> Many people think I'm weird for being interested in the in the in the actuarial nuances. And I, I don't find the details of, of getting a quadro particularly intellectually interesting, but but some do. So is it true that the woman always lives longer? Always? It, oh, no. It's but not statistically true that they speaking, live. what do actuaries say about that? There I actually have so many questions just offline for an actuary, things sure. that I hear all the time. Is there a, is there an actual statistic about that? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, as, as a as a general rule, women women have lower mortality uh, and live longer than than men, and they they have for as long as actuaries have been keeping keeping track, and um, they've they've always uh, 
you know, it's a, it's a matter of great debate because nobody knows why, uh, really. I mean, and, and, and that's the thing about um, what, what we do as actuaries is we don't necessarily need to know why anything happens. It's just that it happens and it can be expected to happen again. So, so the answer to your question is yes. In fact, the fact that a, that a woman is, is um, expected to live longer than a man is very, very important with respect to quadros. So imagine you've got a, imagine a simple case. You've got a uh, a pension that was accrued all through the, you know, the, the marriage. So there's no, you know, separate property, community property thing. Just it's going to be divided 50-50. Okay. Well, let's say that participant had already started taking benefits and is now now receiving a life annuity. So here I am. I'm a I'm a I'm a pensioner. I'm getting a hundred dollars a month or a thousand dollars a month from my my defined benefit pension plan, and I want to give fifty percent to my ex wife. Well, I can't give fifty percent. Well, I can't fifty percent. A quadro can give me could give my ex wife fifty percent. Only as long that's only payable as long as I live. You could not give her fifty percent a fifty percent life annuity just like the, the participant got because that would be increasing the plan's liability because she's expected to live longer than me, and therefore the plan administrator is not allowed to do anything to any benefits that's going to increase plan liabilities. And therefore, that quadra would have to be drafted to provide um, the ex-spouse uh, 50%, for, but only as long as the participant lived, which, of course, is complicated and awkward and not the way you want it. Right. Um, that kind of actually leads really well into uh i wanted to bring up life insurance mm-hmm. a lot of couples have life insurance and sometimes that you know comes into play when you're dividing up things from a you know in a divorce i know that um frequently life insurance you know the the point of it would be to pay off a mortgage if you know just what i think of as a conventional mortgage Mary Jo, um, do you find clients, first of all, can you use a life insurance policy to pay off a reverse mortgage? I guess that's the first question. Yes, you can use anything you want. And um, that's, it's a great use of life insurance. Um, you know, the the key, I think, is, is getting the life insurance when it's affordable. Um, so maybe you want to get that when you're a little younger, not wait till, till you're in their 70s or 80s. Um, but uh, the heirs will inherit the full value of the home when the borrowers pass away. And so it's subject to the loan balance, just like with a conventional loan or a HELOC or any other type of loan that would be on the home. The heirs then have the, the responsibility to repay that debt um, if they want to keep the house or they can sell the house and, and repay the debt so they could refinance the debt or pay it off with a by selling it or if there's a life insurance policy they can use that to pay off the the reverse mortgage loan and then the house is theirs free and clear uh, so it's it's much like a conventional loan you can pay it off any way you want you can keep the house you can sell the house um you know people it's it's an interesting um kind of view that people say well you know your kids are going to inherit the house with debt Right. But you have to spend, you have to get money from somewhere to fund your retirement. So if you spend your equity, you're going to have less equity to leave. If you spend your 401k, you're going to have less 401k to leave. The difference is that even if there's debt against your home, the full value of your home will appreciate. If you have a million dollar home with a $300,000 reverse mortgage debt, you still get appreciation on the million dollars not just on the equity. But if you have a 401k worth a million and you pull out 300, now you only have 700,000 appreciating. So, um, you know, it's important. I always say when you're evaluating reverse mortgage, 
it's important to, to always ask compared to what, right? You're going to use up some of your money. You're going to use up some of your money, no matter where you get it from, because you have to buy groceries. <laughs> so, so this is not the back of an envelope calculation. Uh, it's, it, you know, it needs to go on a spreadsheet where you make sure you have a, somebody like Pete or, or somebody that's, considering all the columns that need to go on that spreadsheet, which ones are taxable, which ones are not using the, the life insurance, you know, how much is life insurance going to cost compared to just leaving the debt, you know, without life insurance to pay it off. So a lot of things to consider. And, um, and it's, it really is something that, that you have to do run the numbers and uh, most financial advisors have some pretty sophisticated software that can analyze, okay, if you're going to pay these life insurance premiums, and then you're going to use that life insurance to pay off the reverse mortgage, are you going to really be better off? Because you're getting the money from somewhere to pay the life insurance premiums. So that's, you know, it, it's really, um, it's interesting when you start looking at all the all the possible ways to maximize your legacy. And sometimes the, the answers are surprising. You know, that's a, that, that, I think that, that was a great point you made. Mary Jo, but the the and the and the other the other aspect of life insurance is these we see life insurance policies as something else that uh, uh, older couples have accumulated over time, and sometimes some of those life insurance policies are worth a fair amount of, on a cash value basis. So it's another important asset not as important as the real estate or the or the 401k or the or the retirement accounts but life insurance policies in and of themselves are complicated and important assets that should be addressed carefully in divorce there, I actually had a question for Mary Jo related to, oh, no, it will a question, but also sort of a, I think more of a comment. When I used to, and I still can originate reverse mortgages, when I used to do them exclusively, I was really happy when it was the adult child who came to me and said, you know, I, I really think my mom should have a better quality of life. So in the looking at all the different things that can be inheritance considered inheritance oftentimes the adult children really don't want the house would you agree mary jo right they want um they want the the value right they're not necessarily going to move there or you know keep it and rent it and so if you're looking at this entire array of things that an older person might have accumulated over the course of their lifetime you know oftentimes the house itself is not a desired asset it's just like you said it's the value of it and the heirs have an opportunity to sell the house, pay off the balance, and keep the remainder as part of their inheritance, right? Right. Just like with a conventional loan, you 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 can sell or refinance, pay off the debt that's owed, and then use it for you know a, an investment property, Airbnb, live in it, whatever you want to do. And um, I've had situations where we've used reverse mortgages to uh, to help one heir buy out their siblings. So there, you know, there were three kids inherited a house. One of them wanted to live in it. Um, none of them, surprisingly, were homeowners. They were all in their 60s, these two, two sisters and a brother, and none of them were homeowners. And they inherited their parents' house. And the brother said, I want to live in it. So he moved in, qualified for a reverse mortgage. The house was paid for. He took the money out on the reverse mortgage as a lump sum to pay out his sisters for their share of the house. And then they used that money that he gave them for the buyout as down payment on their own house. And they used a reverse mortgage as a purchase loan secured by the new property that they bought together. So we had three adults in their 60s inherit one house. None of them were homeowners. And via two reverse mortgage loans, now they're all three homeowners and they have no mortgage payment and they'll never pay rent again. They do have to pay their property taxes and their homeowners insurance, but you know, talk about a beautiful outcome. 
and and they were fighting over this house, right? And um, luckily, one of the attorneys, the attorney for the sister, um, his office was right down the hall from mine. So he knew about reverse mortgage and he popped into my office and said, yeah, you probably can't do anything here, but let me tell you the scenario. And I said, oh, I can do a lot there. And it was it was just amazing to take three people who were paying a lot of rent to live in the Bay Area and make them all homeowners and no mortgage payments and no rent. So there are a lot of situations where a reverse mortgage can you know, work its magic and really change people's lives. And, you know, I always hear people say it's not for everyone. And I agree a hundred percent. Home ownership's not for everyone, right? There's a lot of responsibilities and it's a lot of work to own a home. And some people just want to have a senior funded apartment and they're totally fine with that. So, um, you know, it, nothing's for everyone, but for people that do want to be homeowners and are over 62, this is definitely something they should look at. Um, you gave an example. You've been a guest on the show before. I think it was on the show, or maybe it was just when you and I were talking, but you can walk me through it again for the sake of, of our listenership. It was a couple who was married and they got a reverse mortgage on the house they lived in. And whoever was departing the home used the proceeds from the reverse mortgage to pay cash for another house. And then they divorced. Was that right? So that way. That, that's, that's possible. You could do that or you could just do the, the buyout as part of the settlement agreement. And that's probably more common that uh, they get the settlement agreement and then uh, they do the loan and we can be processing the loan at the time that they're getting the settlement agreement. But once they get the settlement agreement um, then, and they're actually divorced, then the the one borrower can do the loan to buy out the other. And then the other, the person who receives the buyout can take that and either pay cash for a house, or if they want to stay locally here uh, in, you know, in a more expensive area, they probably need a reverse mortgage on the new property of uh, what they call a lifestyle loan, which is a type of reverse mortgage that you can use to purchase a house, just like with a conventional loan. So it funds at the close of escrow along with your down payment. And that's a common scenario for people getting divorced. And it's a great way uh, to Pete's point of ensuring cash flow. And that's really what the retirement game is all about, is making sure you have enough cash flow to cover your expenses and live, you know, maintain your independence and have a, a reasonably great lifestyle. And one of the best ways to do that is to eliminate what's normally someone's largest monthly expense, which is housing. And so if you have two people who have used a reverse mortgage to solve their housing uh, issue, then, you know, they're just paying property tax and homeowners insurance and all the same things they pay if, if they had no debt. So you take two people who are kind of splitting the assets and instead of adding liabilities of another housing expense, you're wiping out those liabilities for both of them. And that is, um, that's a pretty good way to substantially increase the probability that their money will last their lifetime. Pete, do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. She's uh, <clears throat> Mary Jo's uh, got some terrific techniques for that to help people convert equity into income. And with a reverse mortgage, um, you were talking about how obviously people have to qualify to get like your example was a home equity loan. If someone is getting divorced and you know, maybe historically they would have looked at getting a home equity loan to to fund the buyout to the other party. But with a reverse mortgage, you don't have to really qualify in terms of ability to repay. Can you elaborate on that, Mary Jo? Sure. Yeah. Most people qualify based on their social security. Um, so we have to show that they have enough ongoing income, which the loan proceeds can can contribute to that income to pay their property charges, which includes property taxes, homeowners insurance, homeowners association dues if they have an HOA, and then maintenance and utilities. And then in our area, you need about 500 bucks left over per homeowner, per borrower, to um, pay for you know food, basically, food and utilities. And <clears throat> so most people qualify based on Social Security. If they don't, 
uh, we can use a drawdown of the loan proceeds to help them qualify. Um, so it's it's pretty easy. You know, we're not we're not requiring a monthly loan payment, so they don't have to qualify for that. So that makes a big difference. And the other big issue is this never turns into a monthly mortgage payment. When you have a HELOC, there's the draw period, and then that ends. So if you're using it to live on, bam, one day it just stops. And now you have a monthly principal and interest payment. So during the draw period, you pay only interest with a HELOC, not with a reverse mortgage, and then you have to start repaying it. And those bank HELOCs right now are recasting as a 20-year principal and interest payment at 9 and 10%. Right. That's a big blow to a retiree who was paying interest only at 6%. Right. So we can pay those off with a reverse mortgage and wipe out that debt and potentially give them even more cash flow. Love it. So much food for thought there. I like those are really good ideas. And Pete, talk a little bit about how you, how your clients find you and when, when would be a good time for someone to consider visiting with an actuary? Well, I I think, um, I mean, the answer is as early as possible. I mean, they can find me through, through my website and through, um, I do a series of podcasts on Silver Divorce myself. Um, Tell us your website. What is it? How can people find it's, you? Uh, it's right now, it's peternewirth.com. And and I always respond to emails. So you can just email me at peternewirth at gmail.com. So, so let's way, spell that for people who are listening. Spell, spell the email address. P-E-T-E-N-E-U. W I R T H at gmail.com. And um, I, yeah, like I said, I think the, uh, the earlier in the process uh, that a, a divorcing couple can start to have a, a shared understanding of what their marital assets and income, potential income streams are, the better, because I think a lot of what what I've seen is a lot of uh, divorcing couples go in with either or both or both not really understanding what they what they have actuarially. Because, again, by the time you get to 55, 60, 65, really what all of your assets are what they can produce in terms of income because you're going to spend your assets that's you're in the decumulation phase of life and you're spending down your assets and therefore all what your assets are worth is what they can pay for in the future um so that's what i would would say on that and 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 the earlier the better i think as soon as they they got it finance if there's a financial planner that's involved uh a cfp or um even a cpa or a tax advisor and you get a hint before you go to the barricades and start having dueling actuaries which will end up with dueling forensic accountants and dueling tax attorneys and dueling actuaries maybe uh you know just sort of get an understanding and you know hopefully there's a deal to be made so i'm 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 a big believer in deal making rather than refereeing right so for people listening across the country it would be smart to talk to someone you trust get some suggestions um just as you would for a divorce lawyer you you want to start to think about who would be on your team um, this is a place where I would like to plug my book, um, Plan for Divorce. If you go to planfordivorce.org, you can download it. And it is designed to get these thought processes started. You know, list out your assets, list out your debts, start thinking of, of what the critical parts are for you specifically to build the kind of life you want to see post-divorce. Uh, Mary Jo, talk a little bit about where people can find you. Um, they can find me at maryjolefay.com. That's M as in Mary, A-R-Y, 
J-O-L-A-F as in Frank, A-Y-E dot com. And also they can email me at info at maryjolafay.com. Uh, Pete and Barry, Barry wasn't able to join us today because he's traveling uh, to a conference, but um, they can also find us at our joint venture, which is Silver Divorce Consulting. And we're building out that site uh, that's available. You can contact us on LinkedIn at Silver Divorce Consulting. And uh, we will all three be checking those messages. And so um, any way you want to call me, call me, email me. Are you licensed in every state? Uh, So I work for Mutual of Omaha Mortgage, and we are licensed in every state except for New York. And so I have uh, colleagues across the country that I work with to do get licensed, uh, do loans in other states. I will help a lot of people downsize and move to other states. So that's a that's a, a great, great area that we can help where, you know, the average broker might not be able to help you uh, help your client downsize and move to a different state. But, and, and, and Brooke, can I just make one 30 second pitch for this silver divorce consulting um uh, venture that we're involved in because you know what Mary Jo and Barry and I have realized is that taxes, real estate, and and retirement plans are really the fundamental issues in in a silver divorce. And without kind of a understanding all three and how they interact and interrelate and can be part of a holistic solution, um, you're just not going to get it if you try to get you know specialists here specialists there specialists here and but we have all three that integrate well and can put together a coherent strategy so that's that's our value proposition fantastic information i want to thank both of you for being here today i know that you're both super busy and taking time out of your schedule to join me. I really appreciate it. For everyone listening, we're going to be here. I'm going to be here next week, same time, same place. I look forward to uh, bringing some more information on this important topic. And until then, have a great week. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, Your Next Chapter with host Brooke Benson. We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.